ancient city of Philippi, which was in modern-day Greece. And it was a church that was very close to the Apostle Paul's heart. They are the Philippians. And so this is Paul's letter to them that we have been studying. This letter of Philippians, which he wrote around the year 60 AD while he was imprisoned in Rome, awaiting either execution or release. And as we read the letter... We figure out that Paul writes it for at least a couple of reasons. First, to reassure the Philippians that despite being in prison and facing a possible death sentence, Paul and the ministry are doing well. And second, there are some issues in Philippi that Paul addresses through exhortation which means that he is urging them to do some things. He, he writes to give them some instructions. And in the middle of Paul's exhortation are several examples that he gives, both positive examples and negative examples. He offers up himself and men like Timothy and Epaphroditus as positive examples of godly men who are practicing what they preach. And at the same time, Paul gives some negative examples, men who should not be followed, men who should be avoided. Look out for the dogs, Paul said in chapter 3, verse 2, as a warning to watch out for a certain group of false teachers. So we read that verse and the verses following last week, where Paul refuted the prevalent false teaching by giving three marks of a true Christian. And we learn together that a true Christian, according to Paul, number one, worships by the Spirit of God, number two, glories in Jesus Christ alone, and number three, puts no confidence in the flesh, which means puts no confidence in the flesh, means that when it comes to their standing before God, a Christian does not put trust in anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to put no confidence in the flesh. When it comes to our Standing before God, we put zero trust, zero faith, zero reliance, zero confidence in anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul makes this point emphatically. A Christian does not put confidence in the flesh. A Christian puts confidence in Christ alone. And now this morning... We are going to learn what Paul valued most in his life. We're going to read and find out what what was most important to Paul. What was more important to Paul than anything else. And, And that will lead to a very personal question for all of us. What do I value 
most in my life? What, what is most important to me? What is the most important thing to you this morning? What would the people who know you best say? They know the answer. They know the answer. They know what is most valuable to you. They know what is most important to you. They see how you spend your time. They see how you use your energy. They they see how you spend your money. They see what you get excited about. They see what you get angry about. This all tells the people around you what is valuable to you. It tells them what is most important to you. We'll ask that question, but first, let's understand what was most valuable to Paul? What was the most important thing to Paul? But before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. So will you please bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, help us to understand your word and help us to apply your word. We ask that you would, through the preaching of your word, change us. That through the preaching of your holy word, you would reach our hearts and our minds and our wills. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seat in front of you, you can find Philippians 3 on page 637. Philippians chapter 3. And let's begin in verse 1 again. Just some review because we're in this section that Paul is writing. So let's begin in verse 1 again of chapter 3. Finally... My brothers, rejoice in the Lord. So don't forget what Paul says next is for joy. To write the same things to you, Paul says, is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. So what Paul is about to say, he's already said it to the Philippians. It's important. And so if it's important... It is no trouble, Paul says, for him to say it again. Not only that, to say it again, Paul says, is what? Is safe for them. It's safe for you to repeat myself. It is safe for us to Paul, for Paul to repeat certain things. Some things, we talked about this last week, are worth repeating. Some things are not, but some things are worth repeating. Repeating some things need to be said over and over and over again and in a million different ways and to hear them and understand them and to believe them over and over. It is safe for you. In other words, it is good for your soul to hear, understand and believe certain things over and over again. Now, when it comes to truth that is worth repeating, nothing qualifies more than the truth of the gospel. 
Nothing qualifies for repeating more than the truth of the gospel, which is what Paul in his letters repeats more than anything. The gospel. The good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done must never be put away. The gospel isn't something that you hear in order to become a Christian and then you put it on the shelf. If the gospel is a book, it's a book that is open on your desk 365 days a year. Martin Luther famously said, Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this gospel well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. We need these truths beat into our heads continually. It's good for us. It's safe for us. Verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. These were false teachers, sometimes called Judaizers or the circumcision party. And they were a big problem in the first century church. They taught that true Christians, in addition to placing their faith in Christ, would also strictly observe the Old Testament ceremonial law, including circumcision. And that, of course, is not true. That is not what a true Christian is. We are saved for all of you who are Christians. We are saved, as Paul taught, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Period. No plus, no addition. So the focus of of last week's sermon was controlled by these verses that we're reading here. Verse 3, Paul goes on, for we, Paul goes on, are the circumcision who, and here again are the marks of a Christian, worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. And then Paul goes on to list all the reasons that if anyone had reason to rely on themselves for acceptance before God, it was Paul. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And that's about where we stopped last week. This morning, now verses 8 through 11 are going to be our focus. Verses 8 through 11. And again, we're going to learn. What are we going to learn? What was important to Paul? What was most valuable to Paul? Let's read all these verses together. 8 through 11. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake... I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain 
the resurrection from the dead. I know what you're thinking. Those four verses are full of prepositions of causation and purpose conjunctions. Some of you are thinking that. Maybe a few of our teachers are thinking that. It's true. Words and phrases like because of and for and in order that and that. These are words that all of us use all the time to link what we do to why we do it. And we want to explain what we do and then why we do it. These words that are all over the place in these verses, they are the words we use. So let me give you an example using the exact same prepositions and conjunctions that Paul uses in these verses. Here's something that I do, that you know that I do. I preach. I preach most Sundays. And if I wanted to tell you why I preach, I would use these same linking words that Paul uses. So it works like this. I preach God's word. That's what I do because, so here comes the why I do it. God has called me to preach his word. Or I could say, I preach God's word for your good. Or, I preach God's word in order that you may hear the good news and be changed. Or the other word he uses, I could say, I preach God's word that... I may one day stand before God and say that I did what he called me to do. You see how these words work. These are prepositions and conjunctions that link what and why. And if you look, Paul uses a bunch of them here. So Paul is doing something in our text and then he's telling us what? Why he's doing it. He's doing something, and then he really wants us to know why he's doing it. So let's give that some attention. First, what is Paul doing? Let's figure that out. What is Paul doing? And then second, we'll ask, why is Paul doing it? First, he is, look at verse 8 with me, verse 8a, which just means the first part of verse 8. He is what? Counting everything as loss. What is the everything there? I think it's everything he just listed in verses 4 through 6. You see those verses before? Namely, his, his ancestry and his achievements. That's what he lists in verses 4 through 6. It's everything that Paul was so proud of. It's everything that Paul used to put all of his confidence in. These are the things that he was and the things that he did that made him confident. And what is he doing now? 
he is counting all of that as what? Loss. So that's one thing he's doing. He's counting everything as loss. And then second, look at the second part of verse 8. He has what? Suffered the loss of all things and counts them as rubbish. That's a little different, isn't it? That's a little different. Here, Paul is talking about things he has lost. Now, his ancestry hasn't been lost. Many of the achievements that Paul has have not been lost. So what things... Think about this. What things has Paul suffered the loss of? I think it's exactly what it sounds like. The loss of all things. By this time in Paul's ministry, he had suffered all kinds of loss. He reflected on a lot of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 28. Let me read those verses to you. He's reflecting here on the loss of all things. He said that he had suffered far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. This is a great place to go when you're feeling sorry for yourself. You have your little pity party and you invite everybody to come and listen. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I've suffered, but I haven't suffered the loss, anything like Paul. And think about this. Think about this. Paul wrote that second letter to the Corinthians at least six years before he writes this letter to the Philippians from prison. So that list that we just read, that was six years ago. By the time Paul writes this letter, imagine how much more loss Paul had endured. And yet, what does he do? That's what we're asking. What is he doing here? He counts everything he has lost as rubbish. He had lost sleep. He had lost freedom. He had lost health and possessions and food and water, basic sustenance. He had lost warmth, security, clothing, safe travel, comfort, friendship, 
He had lost all of those things. But, what are we learning? Those things are not as valuable to Paul as they once were. So back to our first question. What is Paul actively doing here? He is, we just saw two things. He is counting everything that once brought him confidence and pride as loss. Everything that once brought him confidence and even pride, now he's counting it as loss. And he is counting all the securities and comforts that he once had as rubbish. Now, why is he doing that? Isn't that what you want to know? Why is Paul doing that? Remember, Paul is not just giving us, thankfully, he's not just giving us the what, but also the why. Why, Paul? Why? Why would you count everything that once brought you confidence and pride as loss? Why would you count all the securities you once had as rubbish? Paul, why would you do that? No one counts that as loss. No one counts that as loss. Everyone counts that as gain. This is the American dream. These things that you've lost, these comforts, these securities, these achievements, these successes. This is what everyone is after. Everyone is after these things. Success and security and freedom and health and possessions and comfort and friendship. Paul, what else is there? Why is Paul counting life this way? What kind of calculator is Paul using? Why does he count this way? Why does he think like this? So, to answer that, let's look at the phrases that follow our linking words. That's where our answer is going to be. Specifically, let's look at the phrases that follow because of. We're going to see that. And in order that. One's going to give us the cause and the other one's going to give us the purpose. They're both giving us the why behind this counting all things as lost. So back to verse 8, the first part of verse 8 again. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Question, what is causing Paul to count everything, all that once gave him pride and confidence as loss? Answer, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That's his answer. Paul has discovered something more valuable than his ancestry. Paul has discovered something more valuable than his achievements, and it is knowing Christ. Knowing Christ has caused Paul to 
recalculate the value and importance of everything in his life. Everything. Look at the second part of verse 8. We have our other phrase. In order that. Which means a purpose is coming up. Paul counts as rubbish all things he has suffered the loss of. That's what he's doing. But he's doing that intentionally. In order that. He's doing that on... This isn't Paul just making the best of the situation. You see the difference? It's not just him making the best of things. No, I'm intentionally counting all these things that have been taken from me as trash. I'm intentionally doing that on purpose in order that he's after something better. So let's read. Verses eight through eleven for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that. And so everything that follows here is the purpose behind counting everything he's lost as rubbish. This is three verses of purpose here in order that. I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There's a lot there. So let me try and condense the message in those verses. Let's try to concentrate what Paul is saying here. We could literally spend months on those three verses. Months understanding it. So let's concentrate it. Paul is saying here that he counts as rubbish all things he has suffered the loss of in order that he may gain Christ, be found in Christ, and know Christ. That's why he does this. Which means we have our full answers to the questions now. So our first question, what is Paul doing? He is counting everything that once brought him confidence and pride as loss. And he is counting all the securities he once had as rubbish. And then our second question, why is Paul doing that? And here's the answer quite simply, to know Christ. That's why. To know Christ Paul counts that way because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and in order to know Christ more. It is about for Paul knowing Christ. What is more valuable to Paul than anything else? Can you answer that now? Knowing Christ. What is more important to Paul than anything? Knowing Christ. Christ. So what is most valuable to you? 
What is most important to you? What do you want most in your life? Is it to know Christ? Or is it something else? Let me read you two quotes from J.I. Packer. He says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. The main business that you are here for, he asserts, I would agree, Scripture agrees, is to know God. I am here to know God. I have been created to know Christ and to love Him and worship Him. He also says our aim in studying God. Now, this is important because there are a lot of you who, and this is a good thing, love to study God. You like to read the Bible. You like to read books. You like to think about doctrine and theology. We have many of you here. I'm like that. But you need to remember something. And he gets at it in this quote. Our aim in doing that, our aim in studying God must be to know God himself better. Our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance, not simply with the doctrine of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. That's the point. Knowing God's word to know God, knowing sound doctrine, good theology to know God. Good theology and good doctrine is not an end in and of itself. It is always for something. And if your theology isn't for something, it is worthless. Totally worthless. If it doesn't increase your love for God and increase your love for others, you don't know how to use your theology. Knowing Christ, knowing God. This is what is so important to Paul. What is precious to you? What are you proud of? What gives you reason for confidence? Is it success? Money? Reputation? Your job? Students? Is it your grades? Is it the neighborhood you live in? Is it your possessions? Is it your family? Is it your children? Your spouse, your athletic ability, your sense of humor, your theology, your church, or knowing Christ. What is your confidence in? What is your pride in? What do you brag about? What is your ultimate boast? What are you after more than you're after anything else? What's most valuable to you? 
What is most important to you? Husbands, if you ask your wives, what do you think the most important thing to me is? What would she say? Wives, if you asked your husbands, what is the most important thing to you? What would he say? If you asked your close friends, you really want an honest answer. If you have little kids, ask your little kids. They're not going to worry as much as your friends are about their answer. They know you love them. They know you're not going anywhere. Ask your kids. Hey, what do you think the most important thing to daddy is? What do you think the most important thing to mommy is? Would it be God? Would it be Christ? Would it be your job? Would it be money? Would it be success? Would it be me? That sounds like a good answer. But there is an even better answer. In verses 10 and 11, there are three ways by which Paul hopes to know Christ more. We'll go through these quickly. He hopes to know Christ You see it here by the power of his resurrection, by sharing in his sufferings and by seeing him face to face. So first, Paul hopes to know Christ by the power of his resurrection. Look at verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the power of his the power of of Christ's resurrection is simply the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power of the resurrection. So think about that. Think about that kind of power. When you think about power, what kind of power does it take to raise someone from the dead? That doesn't happen. So that kind of power, the kind of power that can raise Jesus from the dead. Paul wants to know Christ through that power working in him. And he wants that for others. He wanted the Ephesians to know that power, and he prayed for it in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. He prayed that the Ephesians would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He wants it for them. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, Paul says that he wants this resurrection power working in him and through him so that he can comprehend the love that God has for him. That's what he wants resurrection power for. Let me read you the verses in Ephesians 3, 14 and following. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend 
with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What's the power for? Knowing Christ. Paul wants power. Why does Paul want power? To know Christ. That this power that raised Jesus from the dead, God, give me that kind of power so that I can understand the the width and the depth and the length and the height of your love for your children. Now, that is the opposite of how many modern Christians talk about power. Many modern Christians do talk about power, and it's not the power that Paul wanted. It's not power for what Paul wanted it for. There are certain magazines you can read and books you can read and television shows you can watch on certain networks, and you're going to hear about power over and over and over again. People wanting God's power. Paul did not want power to name it and claim it. That's not why Paul wanted power. Paul did not want power to perform miracles and do a healing service. He did not want power to make money, to get a job, to actualize his potential or claim the success. Paul wanted resurrection power so that he could grasp Christ and know him more. That's what he was after. Second, Paul hopes to know Christ by sharing in his sufferings. Verse 10. That I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Think about what Paul means here. He wants to know Christ. And he wants to know Christ by sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Even if it could mean that he would die. Like Jesus died. To die in a similar way that Jesus died. But you know and I know that that we identify with people very significantly when we have some sort of mutual experience. Some of you have been through very difficult things and there have been people who have loved and supported you and, and there has been a very special love and support, a very significant love and support that has come from people who have gone through what you went through. They can identify with your suffering. Paul is willing and ready to suffer like Jesus did so that he can identify and know Jesus on a more intimate level. Now, friends, just stop and think how badly does Paul want to know Christ? I mean, Paul's Paul's saying if. If, if I could be tortured and suffer and hang on a cross like Jesus did, that'd be great. Because he wants to know Christ. He wants to, he wants to taste whatever Christ tasted. He wants to experience what Christ experienced. He talks about suffering like this all the time. That then when he is suffering, 
and he's feeling that that pain, whatever it is, physical, emotional, spiritual. You see how this works and he's experiencing that. And it's awful and it's terrible. And then to know that Jesus endured that. And then to remember that Jesus endured that because he loved Paul. You endured this, you went through this, you suffered this. And your motive was love. He wants to know Christ. Don Carson writes, Paul understands that the master was a man of sorrows, Isaiah 53, and familiar with suffering. And he feels that following him in this way is part of knowing that master. It means becoming like him in his death. That is, just as Jesus had been crucified, so Paul also wants to take up his cross and follow him. For the privilege of knowing that master better, no suffering is too great. And third, Paul hopes to know Christ by seeing him face to face. This is what verse 11, this is what the verses have built to. This is when he will know Christ in ways that he cannot know him here on this earth. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.14 that God raised the Lord Jesus and will also raise us up by his power. Jesus said in John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he, what? Live. That's what Paul's looking for. The end of this, I want to know Christ. I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in Christ. I want to know him by seeing him face to face. That's the icing on the cake. That's the fireworks show. That's, that is the grand finale. That's what I'm looking forward to. I want to know Christ as much as I can possibly know him on this planet. By having his power enable me to know him. By suffering the way that he suffered. And I want to know him when I die. And I'm given a brand new imperishable body with perfect eyes and perfect ears and perfect hands. I want to see him face to face. Because what's more important to Paul than anything? Knowing Christ. Thomas Brooks in the 17th century, here's what he wrote. And this, is, uh, this would be the kind of quote that I hope somebody reads me when I'm on my way out. This is what I would want to hear. I'd want to be reminded of this. Paul has said that to live is Christ, to die is gain. The way Paul thinks about death is, is revolutionary. This is the way a Christian thinks about death. It is so unique. But here's what he said about, about death. A man that sees his propriety in God knows that death shall be the funeral of all his sins, sorrows, afflictions, temptations, desertions, oppositions, vexations, oppressions, and persecutions. And he knows that death shall be the resurrection of his hopes, joys, delights, comforts, and contentments, and that it shall bring him to a more clear, full, perfect and constant enjoyment of God. Paul wants to know Christ. 
So in conclusion, let's summarize what we have learned from these four verses. Let me summarize it this way. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, and in order to know Christ more, Paul counts everything that once brought him confidence and pride as loss, and all the securities he once had as rubbish. Let me say that one more time. Just a summary of what we're learning here. Because of the surpassing worth of Christ, and in order to know Christ even more, Paul counts everything that once brought him confidence and pride as loss and all the securities he once had as rubbish. Now let's try to apply this in our final few minutes. Many of you already are. As you've thought about what's important to you and what's valuable to you and what should be important to you and what should be valuable to you. Some of you here this morning, I'm sure, have misplaced confidence and pride. Like Paul did at one point. You have misplaced confidence and pride. And your confidence and your pride is in who you are and what you've done. Who you are, your name and and your reputation. And what you've done, what you're good at, what you've accomplished, where you've been successful, where you get pats on the back, where people have praised you and honored you. The temptation for us as people, Christians or not, right? To put all our confidence there. To put all our pride there. Some of you have a misplaced confidence and pride. It should not be in who you are and what you've done. It should be in Christ. But then also, almost on the other side, some of you have, like Paul, endured great loss. You have maybe not suffered the loss of all things, but you have suffered the loss of many things. You've lost health. Some of you have lost your marriage. Some of you have lost children. You've lost your livelihood. You've lost money. Some of you have lost friendships that you thought you would never lose. Many of you, I'm sure, have suffered the loss of a lot of things. Now, here's where this all comes together, because you both need to hear the same thing. The one who is putting his confidence and pride in who he or she is and what or what he or she has done needs to hear the same thing that the person who has suffered and endured Great loss. Both need to remember the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. There is nothing more important. There is nothing more valuable. 
there is nothing else that matters if you don't value Christ. I would invite any of you to come up after service and talk with me if you would like to talk about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us to, as the moments and hours and days go by, to understand these truths that we've looked at today. We pray that they would be deeply embedded in our minds and hearts, that the the troubles that we face this week and the, the busyness that we face would not choke it out, but that your truth would would stand firm, that we would understand it even more deeply as the week goes on. For those of us, God, who do not value knowing you the way we should, would you bring conviction and sorrow and help and strength? Help us to see, God, help us to be, to be blinded by the worth of your son, Jesus Christ that he would be our number one pursuit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.